Lesson number seven, the presence of evil. The presence of evil. We looked at Habakkuk chapter number one, verses one to four. It's one of the minor prophets, meaning that it's a smaller book, three chapters long. And it's packed with a lot of information and insight as to why God allows evil and why God allows suffering. Not only that, but how do I respond to it? We're going to end the night with a a list of things about this, about how do I respond to it. It's one of only two books that are theodicies. Theodicies. Do you remember what the other one was? Job. That's right. And so a theodicy is basically a justification of God's ways to human beings. In the book of Job, if you've never read the book of Job, it would be a good one to sit down and read through. And all that God allowed Job to endure. And so that's uh, Habakkuk is the same thing. The history of it is right before the Babylonian captivity. Right before the Babylonian captivity. And it wasn't going to get any better. It was only going to get worse from this time moving forward. So the outline, this is where we started. We got through part of it. So if, you're, if, you're, if you weren't here or if you want to fill in, just give you these quickly. Number one, the problem of evil. The problem of evil. That was chapter one and verse one. We talked about the word burden there. The word burden in verse one, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, it meant a divine vision from God. Divine vision from God. What what Habakkuk was seeing was not like Isaiah's vision, which was a divine assembly, but Habakkuk was seeing divine atrocities. You know, how could this be going on? Letter A, Habakkuk's questions. Habakkuk's questions. And moving on, moving on. I'm not going to review all of this or we'll never get through it. The second part, verse 2, it said, How long, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save? A lot of times, if we've gone through a, a difficulty or more of an injustice, you know, or somebody does something to us, you know what our nature is. Our nature is, you know, God, deal with this right now. And, you know, God doesn't always deal with things how we think God should deal with things. Scripture says that his ways are not my ways, or his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But that's natural. That's a natural tendency, and that's where Habakkuk is. You know, God, when are you going to deal with this? And we made the statement that we ourselves deserve much of the judgment that we desire for others to receive. Because we're all guilty. If we're saved and on our way to heaven, we're a sinner saved by grace. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Letter B, Habakkuk's hopelessness. Habakkuk's hopelessness. In other words, Habakkuk was at a place where he said, thou wilt not hear at the end of, or thou wilt not save. Thou wilt not hear, both of them. Chapter 1, verse 2. He's basically at the end of it, he's saying, you know, God, you're not listening. 
this is happening all around me and this is difficult. And you know what? You're not, you're not doing anything about it. Feel hopeless. But we know God was listening. We said this last week that we have a whole book of the Bible to prove God was listening. Because it's in writing. We can even study it, we can read it, and we can examine it, and it can speak to our hearts today. God's silence is not proof of his absence. God doesn't always answer when we want him to. That doesn't mean God is absent. He talked about two types of evil. Number one, natural evil. Hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, sickness, disease. Why do we have all of these? We have all of these because of the fall of man. God created this world that we live in. When God created the earth, it was completely perfect. So much so that God said it was very good. So we have natural evil. Then we have moral evil. Moral evil. Rape, murder, slander, theft. Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Number two, big number two, the sovereignty of God. We just started into this last Sunday, the sovereignty of God. As we address the problem of evil from a Christian worldview, remember, we're avoiding confusion. That's the whole theme of this. That's the umbrella. We're avoiding confusion So we're trying to avoid confusion in the midst of an evil world. What do we do with evil? How do we explain it? We're looking at the life of Habakkuk and the book of Habakkuk to do that, but we cannot go beyond addressing who God is. We gave this statement last week. What does more normally we ask, what does my problem say about my God? Have you thought, I don't know, I've been thinking about that this week. What does my problem say about my God? In other words, I have this problem, so does that mean God is weak? No. I have this difficulty in my life, and does that mean God is at fault? No, God is holy. It says in the New Testament, be holy for I am holy. God's never failed one time. I've said this for many years. God's never had an uh uh-oh moment. He's perfect. He's holy. Instead, we should ask, what does my God say about my problem? What does my God say about my problem? Psalm 103, 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Here's the thing. God, the creator God, is not surprised by the sin in your life and my life and the effect of it. He's not surprised by that. What does sin always result in? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It's not just, you know, I die and that's it. It brings death to everything. Sin is always killing. Killing relationships. Killing everything. And so God is not surprised by that. In fact, God, is pre- God was prepared for that. This is where we, it's kind of hard to really understand the sovereignty of God sometimes, but God was prepared in advance for that. Did God create sin and evil? No. But he created us with the capacity to choose. 
We call that free will. And so the Bible says in Acts 2.23, maybe you want to turn over there quickly. In Acts 2.23, we're talking now about number two, the sovereignty of God. God prepared in advance for the poor choices that I would make. Now, I'm a sinner by birth, but I'm also a sinner by choice. And that's not just me standing up here on the platform. That's every one of you sitting out in the audience. That's every one of you joining us online. We are a sinner by birth. We have that the, the nature of sin was passed on to us. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all mankind, or all men, for that all have sinned. And so that came to me at birth, but it also came to me as, as a choice. I've, I have made many choices to do wrong, and I'm not proud of that. And, neither, and I'm sure neither are you. But God prepared in advance. Look at Acts 2.23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Being delivered by the foreknowledge of God. Jesus Christ was crucified in the foreknowledge of God. Now, that's just a hard thing to wrap our head around. But that's the sovereignty of God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified him. Revelation 13.8 says, The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God loved you and God loved me so much knowing from the very beginning that we would sin, knowing from the very beginning that Jesus Christ, His Son, would be despised and rejected, knowing from the very beginning that He would be crucified on an old rugged cross, and yet He allowed it to take place. That's the sovereignty of God. It shows how much He loves us. So it was no surprise to God. The fact that you and I would choose to do wrong is not a surprise. And this doesn't belittle it at all, but I'm going to say something, and I hope that we can, we can understand it, and that is this. It shouldn't surprise us either that man could do wrong. That doesn't mean that we are numb to it, and we just, oh, somebody got shot and killed, oh, whatever. No, that's not what I'm saying. When the Bible says that, the, that, that our righteousness, okay, think about this, our righteousness, our good deeds, the Bible says our, is like what? Filthy rags. That's our good things. Imagine, imagine then we're talking about our good things, and yet so how can, I know no one here, but it didn't surprise God, it doesn't surprise me because in my heart, there isn't anything that's good. It's only by the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us as Christians that we say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit, and we don't have to do evil. We choose to be led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Jesus warned us that we would suffer, but however, we can experience peace within that. John 16, 33. I won't turn there for time. Letter A, the providence of God. I don't remember if we, where we stopped, but I think we're now finally back there. The providence of God, letter A. The word providence comes from the Latin word providere. Providere, providere. Pro means ahead, ahead. And videre means to see, 
God sees ahead. He sees the beginning from the end. It means to see beforehand. It means foresight. It means a prior seeing. So we take God's providence, providere, and we take God's sovereignty and his foreknowledge and we combine them together. God's providence is a combination of his sovereignty and his foreknowledge. Look at verse 5 of our text, please. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, notice, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. So Habakkuk's got his doubts, Habakkuk's got his fears, Habakkuk is saying, God, you're not listening to me. God, you're not doing anything about it. God, you're not doing, you're not working. In verse number, in verse number, uh, verse number two, you're not saving, you're not hearing. And God says, look, Habakkuk, I, I see everything from a different view as you. And I just want you to know that I am going to work a work. Verse number five, I am going to work a work in your days and you're not going to believe it, though it was told you. And by the way, whenever God works, it's beyond our comprehension, isn't it? I can't understand the working of God. I can't understand the ways of God. I don't know why God does what he does, but I'm so glad he is God. He is in control. And as we heard earlier, we trust his word. It will be fulfilled. He will work a work in our days. Psalm 111, verse 2 and 3, the works of the Lord are great sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work, God's work, the Lord's work is honorable and glorious. Genesis 1.31, we've mentioned this verse several times. Here is the context for suffering. Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made. Don't lose that statement. God saw everything that he had made. And it was very good. Everything that God makes is very good. When the Garden of Eden was complete and and everything that he had put in there, and it was very good. It was absolutely perfect. Sin, we can authoritatively say, based on the Word of God, we can authoritatively say sin did not originate with God. Its consequences were not in his original plan. But again, God allows choice. Randy Alcorn said this, God is not the author of evil, neither, however, is he ever the victim of evil. God is not the author of evil, neither is he the victim of evil. He's not surprised by it. But he didn't originate it either. How did evil enter the world? Let's go to Ezekiel 28. We touched on this a little bit last week. Ezekiel 28. How did it enter the world? Ezekiel 28. Verse 
Some would say that evil entered the world through Satan. And God created Satan. So therefore, God created evil. Well, that sounds pretty good. But it's not completely accurate. Because God did not create Satan. God did create Lucifer. Who was the highest angel. Look what it says in Ezekiel 28, 15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast what? Created. Created. God created Lucifer. And Lucifer was absolutely, when he was created, Lucifer was absolutely perfect. Just like when God created the world and he said that it is very good. When God created Lucifer, he was perfect in all of his ways until. That'd be a good word to underline. Well, it's actually the word till. Till. In other words, God gave all of the angels a free will as well. Lucifer rebelled against God. Because of this, Lucifer's created state, which was perfection, was lost, and there's no iniquity in heaven. There's no evil in heaven. So when Lucifer rebels, what must happen? Well, he must leave. That's exactly what happened. So Lucifer leaves heaven and becomes Satan. Who do we find in the Garden of Eden? Meeting with Adam and Eve, it wasn't Lucifer. It was the serpent, more subtle than any beast of the field. And it was the serpent, it was Satan that had taken over that serpent. And so that's where evil entered this world. It did not enter the world through God's creation in the sense of God creating evil. It entered the world through Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now God made the serpent. God didn't make Satan. But Satan took over that serpent. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan brought the temptation of evil into a perfect garden. Remember, it was very good. Here comes Satan in the form of a serpent into a perfect garden. Now, Adam and Eve, they're not robots. They have a free will. God told them, every tree is yours. Except one. They have a choice to make. And and Satan... He grabs a hold of the lustful desires. How did he know Adam and Eve had a lustful desire? I'll tell you how he knew that. Because he did. He said, I want to be like the Most High. I, 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 I. We have all those I wills. He knew exactly what 
would get a hold of them. And by the way, the reason the evil is in our world today and any evil uh, in our world today, it's because of the desire of the flesh. And Satan knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what buttons to push, if you will. And he did it in the Garden of Eden, and he's been doing it for thousands of years since. They acted on the lustful desire. They disobeyed God. And what happened? Sin came into the world. Boom, just like that. We already read that verse, Romans 5.12. There it was. The original design of God was good, with a capital G. But Adam, man's representative, he was our representative. Wherefore, as by one man to the world, Adam was our representative. He sinned against God. Here's a question. Why did God even allow the possibility of sin? Well, again, it's repeating, but he gave us a free will. He granted you, he granted me a free will. He did not create sin, but he created us with a conscience to choose. It's in every man. It's in you, it's in me, it's in the jungle. Every man has a conscience that God has given him to choose. We were not created to just be someone who said, you know, yes, sir, yes, sir, kind of like, as I've said, a robot. That's not how God created us. We learned this morning, if you weren't able to be in church this morning or not hear the message this morning, it isn't about the deliverer. It's about the the text, Psalm 23. I really hope you'll take some time and listen to that this week because one of the main things we talked about in the fact that we need a shepherd so much is the relationship. That's what God created us for. He didn't create us just to be a robot. He created us for a relationship. And when sin came in, sin severed that opportunity. But God had already made preparations for that. Why? Because he loves us so much. Remember, for the, from before time, before the determinate council, it was the foreknowledge of God that, that, that Jesus would be slain. While we do live in a world with evil, we also live in a world, even in its fallen condition, with good. The idea of this lesson isn't to leave here, and and last week to leave here, and and just to be thinking and be looking around and wondering, I wonder if they're evil. No, we don't live in a world only of evil. Even in this fallen world that we live in, isn't it amazing how much good there is in our world? How is that possible, really? How is it possible that there's any good in our world? I'll tell you how it's possible, because it's the love of God. The only way there's any good in this world is directly from our Heavenly Father, our Shepherd. The things that you have in your life, the virtues that you have in your life, that I have in my life, they're not even possible without God. Because without God, guess what we are? We're just, we're just going to live an evil life. We're just going to live a, self, uh, a selfish life. But with God in our life, with that relationship that we have, we can choose to do good. And many other people choose to do good, but I'll tell you, it's not because of them. It's because of God working in them. It's because of the shepherd in them, working in their life. 
So why does, God, why does a good God allow evil? I think we can honestly say we may not fully be able to understand that this side of heaven. What we can recognize is a better day is coming. Turn to Romans chapter 8 quickly. Romans chapter 8, we're talking about the providence of God. Providere. Romans 8 tells us everything in creation and everything within us groans for God to restore things. I don't know about you, but when I hear about evil happening in our world, something inside of me just, it's like a gut punch. You know what it talks about? It talks about it right here in Romans 8. Look at verse 22. For we know, for we know that the whole creation, that's you, that's me. What is the whole creation doing? Groaning. Travailing. It groaneth. It travaileth. What is, it, what is this about? It's in pain. That's, what, that's where we are. I mean, you, you, you see the news flash on the website or the, or the news feed or, or whatever. Or, I mean, and so much of it is, is not really the best of news. And it's, oh, there's a groaning and there's a travailing in our hearts. And the Bible says it right here. And it says, not only they, not only the world, not only they, but ourselves also. Who are ourselves? Look what it says. But ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's the believer. So the whole creation groaneth. Even we who have the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit. And what is it? The redemption of our body. There's something within us that's groaning and waiting for the day when God restores everything. Like he said to Habakkuk, there is coming a day when I will work a work. We must trust that's going to happen based on our, our Bibles that we even have in our lap right now. Letter B, the character of God. The character of God. After God told Habakkuk that he was going to do a miracle work and work a great work, he explained it a little bit more in detail. Letter B, the character of God. Look at verse number 6. Get ready to be shocked, Habakkuk. For lo, I raise up thee who? Chaldeans. Okay, this is the plan. God, wait, whoa, whoa, this is the plan? For I raise up the Chaldeans, notice the description, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land. This is my plan, Habakkuk. This is God, right? He's talking to Habakkuk. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send the Chaldeans and they're going to plow right through the country. They're nasty. They're bitter. They're mean. To possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They're going to come and they're going to take over the places where people live that it doesn't belong to them. I don't think that was what Habakkuk had in mind. I would say now he's really confused. Look at verse 7. 
They are terrible. They are dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. Talk about an army. Their horses are swifter than leopards. That's quite the horse. They are more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen shall spread themselves, and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. They shall come all for violence. Wow. Habakkuk's initial complaint was that God was letting the people get away with evil. Now, God is going to use the Babylonians who are not, you know, uh, the kindest people, the nicest people. In fact, the description is very clear. God is going to use them to take God's people captive. Habakkuk speaks in verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. He's speaking now. Canst not look and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously? And holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Whoa, whoa, he says, wait a minute. You're going to use somebody that's even more wicked. And you're, you're supposed to be a holy God. You're supposed to be, and you're going to use a, a wicked nation to bring judgment on your people. How could he use evil for his purposes? Well, God in his sovereignty can use evil and have good come out of it. Anybody remember a particular character in the Old Testament? who said to his brothers whose knees were knocking when the father had died. And he said, don't worry about it, guys. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. To save much people alive. Remember that one? Joseph. Genesis chapter 50. Verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. My own flesh and blood, you threw me in a pit. That's pretty evil. If you read the story, I'm, I, there's nothing humorous about it, but you know, I kind of chuckle when I read it that when they threw him in a pit, they had lunch while he was in the pit. Talk about a double whammy. They're up there having sandwiches, and Joseph's down in the pit, and they're having sandwiches and trying to figure out, what are we going to do with this dreamer? They thought evil, but God took evil and brought good out of evil. And you know that story. If you don't know that story, I mean, if Joseph's not where he's at when things happen, a lot of other parts of our Bible, of course, God's going to put it all together. But you know what I'm saying? That was downright double dog, dirty evil. But God took it in his sovereignty. He made it good. Have we ever been at a place in our life, possibly, where we've said, I just can't see any good in this? I'm sure we have. 
And I mean, you know, we're, we're trying, we're, we're praying, we're, we're meditating on the things of the Lord, and every time we keep coming back to, there's just no good in this at all. If, just because I don't see the reason doesn't mean there isn't a reason that exists that is good. My eyes may just not be seeing it yet. The famous verse we use is Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good. Does that mean evil works together for good? Well, as far as I know, that's all things. I don't know how God does it, but I'm not God. He's faithful. He's sovereign. The truth is God does care, and God is going to do something about it. The Bible tells us two responses God has to our suffering. Number one, he executes judgment. He executes judgment. God always executes judgment and justice because they are part of his holy nature. When is God going to do something about it? Remember, let's not, get so, let's not get so caught up in what everybody else supposedly is doing. Let's make sure we're right with God. It's very easy to get our eyes off of our own walk with God and you know, be looking around at everything that's happening, and, and then we veer off the course. But God will make things right. He always does make things right. Psalm 149 and verse 9. To execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints, praise ye the Lord. Psalm 149.9. But we've learned this already. Habakkuk wanted it, and he wanted it now. That's not how God works. There are numerous times where God will allow evil and wickedness to continue, and it seemingly continues on and on and on. But one thing about our God, our God is patient, our God is long-suffering. We don't want him to be that way with somebody else, but we want him to be that way with us. I think about so many people, and I, I'm not going to start naming names because I don't want necessarily us to think that I'm referring to them as evil people, but you know, there's numerous people in our world today that, man, we probably just assume God just wiped them off the face of the earth. And we have to be very careful about that attitude and spirit. I'm so thankful God is long-suffering. But it's not just for, to be for me. It's supposed to be for the other people that I think are you know, supposedly way, bad, way worse than I am in the way they live their life. Acts 17.30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but, but, now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He executes judgment. In, Acts, in, in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, God assures the prophet that he will, he does see the evil and he will judge it. He mentions in chapter 2, he mentions greed in verse 6. He mentions injustice in verse 9. He mentions violence in verse 12, drunkenness in verse 15, idolatry in verse 18. Turn over quickly to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. And verse 14. 
He executes judgment. For God shall bring every work into judgment. Every work. Notice, with every, what's the next two words? Secret thing. Because there are no secrets with God. Whether it be good or whether it be evil. Secondly, he executes judgment. Secondly, he enters our brokenness. He enters our brokenness. The whole theme of God's word is redemption, redemption, redemption. God creating a perfect world, sin corrupting it, then God sending Jesus Christ, the Son of God in the flesh, entering our shattered world to restore it, and most of all, to restore us to be able to have a The whole thing, redemption. Wow, what a God. What a loving God. Look at chapter four of our text, please, quickly. Hebrews, excuse me, sorry, not our text. Hebrews is not Habakkuk. Turn to Hebrews chapter four. They do start with an H, but they're a little different. Jesus understands our suffering. I'm not gonna finish this lesson. It's okay, we'll do part three in a couple weeks. Because the, the, the summary is probably going to be almost a whole other lesson. That's okay. God has something for us. We don't want to rush that. Look at Hebrews 4.15, please. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus took on the form of a servant. He was a obedient to the death of the cross. He understands our suffering. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. I won't turn there to read it, but I'll read it for you. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What is the answer to the evil in this world? The cross. The cross. What is the answer to the evil in my life? The cross. What's the answer to the sin in your life? The cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith. I received my sight. And now guess what? I'm happy all the day. I may not be happy with the circumstances in life. I I may not be happy with what God is necessarily doing in my life, but I know that God is greater than my happiness, and I know that I can trust God with my life. And yes, I might see evil in this world, and I might have evil coming into my life, but I must always take my eyes and look at the cross. As it stands there on Calvary's hill, that is the answer to evil. A holy God provided the answer to evil. What a mighty God we serve. Why do bad things happen to good people? We're almost done. This only happened one time. Think about it. Why do bad things happen to good people? It only happened one time. The cross. There is no good. 
There is none good. No, not one. Only bad thing happened to a person that is good one time. And it was at the cross. And it was on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he willingly hung on that cross for the, for the, for the payment of all the evil in the world. Without it, we would have no hope. In fact, this good person, he volunteered. He volunteered. He willingly laid down his life. Why do bad things happen at all, Pastor? I don't know. But I know this. It's not because God doesn't love us. God chose to come and take on man and live amongst us and go to the cross. That's God's answer for evil. The problem of evil, number one. Number two, the sovereignty of God to be continued. 